0: You know, we finished recording the behavioral finance episode. And as soon as we were done, I mean, there wasn't even like, you know, like when we finish these things, you know, usually I'm very generous and I'll say, Brad, that was so great. And sometimes he'll say, Charles, that was really great. But we finished the last one and he didn't say that. The first thing he says is, you mentioned the book way too many times. You're going to tick off everybody listening to the podcast.
1: I thought I thought our conversations were private. It's all right. It's all right.
0: Well, they're private unless they serve you know some sort of like smear <laughs> campaign that I'm trying to. You that's know, right. Everything you, you say like, will
1: be used against you. <laughs> that's I exactly
0: right. You you mentioned <laughs> the book fifty times. People are going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned it in context. Like I was trying to like. That's true.
1: That's true. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: So I, I now for today, I do have to reference the book. So I'm going to reference it two times. And this doesn't count. So this is not one of the references. I get two references to the book and that's it. All right. right. Are we ready for this? I think we are. So So we have favorite topics relative to what we're doing. I didn't say the book. And I know Brad's got two or three and I have two or three. And this is definitely one of them. So today we're talking about getting the client to take action. And the reason why this this is important to me anyway is because, you know, the program that I co-led at Wharton and the other things that we're doing with advisors and our consulting and with the firms, this topic is the one that comes up all the time. Right, Brad?
1: I think so. I mean, everything's going great. As a financial planner, you are uh, meeting with your clients, you're doing your analysis. you're giving them the plan. everything's good. But sometimes they're not doing what they're supposed to do. you know? I, I feel like it's I, I talk a lot about disordered money behaviors and problem money behaviors. But I think the biggest one that financial planners encounter, you know, is not compulsive buying disorder or gambling um addiction. it's It's like, I'm telling the client what they need to do. As a matter of fact, they're paying me to tell them, like to give them advice, and they're just not moving forward. They're not taking action. And so I think it's the biggest frustration for anyone who works with other human beings in an advisory or planning role or therapy role. Uh, Yeah. Or if you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, how do you get them to take action? Yeah.
0: and So as we were developing this, we we looked at this from two different perspectives. So getting the client to take action from two different perspectives. And if you'll recall, Brad, we went round and round about this. So the first was the existing client who you've had for a while as an advisor and they're not making a decision of some sort. They're sitting on an estate planning decision. They're sitting on an investment decision, whatever it might be, they're sitting on something and they're not doing anything. And then the second one was, um, well, it also kind of like, if you did a discovery meeting, an initial meeting with a client, there was part of that. And then the second piece was, what can you do on the front end with a new client to avoid getting into this rut, right? So that, that you can kind of do things on the front end to help them kind of take action and be more active than passive.
1: That, that I, I recall that I recall what you're saying. That was that was like uh, two books ago, but I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, well, I, I'm not mentioning any books right now. Did you mention Sorry. our second <laughs> book that's coming out in December?
0: No, all you want to do, do is all talk right. about books. Uh, <laughs> so, the, the the way we constructed this. Uh, is based upon motivational interviewing. So, motivational interviewing is basically a process where, you know, and it's used in a variety of different prof- professions that are client-centered or patient-centered to help people that are going to adopt behaviors that are within their own best interests. Um, so, therapists use it, uh, educators use it, um, but it really is when the you know because basically. Regardless of what client-centered profession you're in, you can't be with that individual all the time. So they have a the 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 patient or the client in this case has a higher locus of control, right? So you've got to find ways to kind of help get them to adopt behaviors that are in their that are in their best interest. And we outline six stages of the of of change process, a behavioral change process that comes from a number of different branches of psychology. And I'm just going to go through those kind of just really, really quickly. So the first stage of it is pre-contemplation, right? So, you know, people are really in denial here, right? They haven't even contemplated. It's pre-contemplation, right? So they don't have a full understanding of the the problem they might have. You know, there could be a lack of responsibility on the part of the client or they don't even think it's an issue, right? Um, So that's pre-contemplation. And then when we get into contemplation, they're – the, the client in this case is able to see that there's that there's a problem that needs some solution right so they're starting to address and acknowledge that there's a negative consequence associated with just continuing down the, the path that they're on and in this case you know maybe you know for for a patient it would be an unhealthy behavior it might not be doing in a case of a client it might not be doing anything at all so there there's some sort of element of recognition there and the contemplation stage um, Keep in mind. Now they still haven't done anything yet. These first two stages, nothing has happened. When we get into preparation in stage three, now we're getting ready to make a change. The the client is starting to collect data. In this case, they're trying to they're looking for guidance or information and figure out maybe some sort of plan that could happen within the next weeks, months. It could even be years. And there's less resistance here. Uh, on the part of the client and they're really thinking about okay what's the what's the strategy going forward. Um and in a lot of cases um the where the planner's role is with some of this in the preparation stages now there's now the planner can help in the stage of thinking about the life it is that they that that the client may want. Started thinking like giving them kind of a, a North Star in this stage. So we're still at a point though in these first three stages where the client has not um, exhibited any behaviors? I've been talking a lot. Brad, did you want to add anything? or are we are we good?
1: <laughs> I I think you're doing good. Just keep on moving. We'll keep on going. Okay. So so
0: now we're getting to the good part. Stage four, which is action. We've done the preparation, and this in, in the case of the advisor, the advisor has has helped the client think about a life that they want right, that has some. Association with what we're talking about here with this issue, and they're ready to put their their plans into action. Um, it's important to note here, and this is one of the things that 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 Brad wrote here, is that you got to make sure in this stage that the planner has to be absolutely sure that the client is ready for action because you don't want to you don't want to get to a point where it's too soon where you start you know plugging in all kinds of plans and they're still just at the you know contemplation stage you could actually kind of scare them off into making any sort of sort of change Um, step five is maintenance so the maintenance stage here so the action plan is put into place through four and now the client has implemented a new behavior or made a decision right that's that's part of their life or in this case part of their financial plan it could take a long time so this could be something that could go on for you know especially if it's like a a, a behavior, a spending behavior of some sort, it could take a long time, right? And the client has to accept that there could be setbacks, right? Because when you're changing behaviors, there are habits that could be ingrained, and they could have setbacks, you know, and this, and that and relative to that kind of a side note, we didn't really talk about this too much. But, you know, when you think about this maintenance stage, financial self-efficacy is a part of that, right? So if, if they're if they have a setback, if they have a lower level of financial self-efficacy, they could walk away from the change altogether, right? But as an advisor, one of the things that we talk about with self-efficacy in general, and certainly financial self-efficacy is that you can build it, right? So I always use the analogy of, of at the gym, and I know Brad, you're at the gym all the time, that you have a spotter, right? And they're always so loud, which kind of gets on my nerves. But someone's lifting a heavy weight, and that spotter's saying, come on, come on, you can do it, right? And they're really helping that person. Well, that's kind of the case a little bit when it comes to building financial self-efficacy. That's not all of it, but that's one stage of it, that you're providing regular feedback. You're celebrating victories to keep the, keep the client's self-efficacy a little higher so that they can continue on with this, with this maintenance, maintenance stage. Um, and then finally, there's the termination stage, stage six, which which is basically can be described as integration. Um, there's an integration of this behavior, whatever it might be, or this decision that's into the to the life of the of the client. So those are the kind of the six stages. And just to review a little bit there on the takeaways, not too soon for the advisor to dive into plans when it's when when they're not ready, and thinking about really that that maintenance stage of celebrating successes as we we go forward.
1: Yeah. A couple other things I'd add. Most of our tools in the field of psychology and definitely in the field of financial planning are designed for the action phase. And this is sort of the mind-blowing element of applying this trans-theoretical model of change to financial planning. Only 20% of us are in the action phase at any given time around any given issue in our life, but that's where a hundred percent of our tools are. You know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're not taught to just conceptualize where is this client in terms of stages of change around. Not, not just the financial plan, but like all 10 elements of the financial plan or whatever um, advice you're giving clients, you know, maybe their action phase on eight of them, and then they're pre-contemplative on one and their preparation on another. The key is to just be aware that not all clients are ready to take action on all of your advice. And as a matter of fact, that would be kind of weird if they were. Now, chances are they're coming in in the action phase around something because they they picked up the phone, they emailed you, they're looking to take action in terms of engaging you. But just understanding that there is a change process. And for me, the take home message around this six stages of change is just go ahead and forget everything that Charles just talked about. Um, and it comes down to this, either client, the, either the client's ready, or they're not ready. I mean, you can look at, you could sort of summarize it in two stages. And just to be aware that your approach when a client is not ready is very likely to backfire and might actually decrease the chances that the client is ready to to take action, which brings me, Charles, to the agenda here, which I think I'm up next talking about.
0: You lost me. Forget everything that Charles said. I (laughs) mean, talk about losing. Not only did you lose, all the audience is is stunned by this. And you lost your co-host too.
1: (laughs) Just I feel like it. I feel like we must disparage each other at least once or twice in yes, every it's episode. The,
0: it's the Brad and Charlatan show. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I feel like I owed you a little bit from the beginning there, I'm telling my secret.
0: Great oh, oh, so, so everybody, turn your volume down because here goes Brad. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> so I'm noticing some resistance in Charles <laughs> to my uh, my feedback and my analysis of his presentation. <laughs> Um, and in our financial work as financial planners, that's really the key. The key is to recognize when the client is resisting your advice. So you, of course, you have to give advice. I mean, you're that's your job, right? You're running financial plans, you're giving people advice. All that is great. And it's okay to sort of start with the assumption that you know that's what you should be doing because quite often that's what clients are asking for, but you have to become aware of when a client is showing signs of resistance. And this is why it's so important. And I got to tell you, this research flipped the entire field of psychology on its head. It erased a hundred years of what we thought we were doing. And we're still scrambling to figure out how to make sense of this. But really what they did is started with research with uh, drug addicts and alcoholics. And they were trying to figure out why relapse rates are so terrible. Like basically the um, effectiveness rate of treatment in inpatient units for residential drug abuse treatment is about twenty percent. So eighty percent of the people who are getting treatment, it's not working, right? And so this led to um, eventually. It's usually an intern who's like, "Hey, the stuff you've been doing for fifty years, it's not working, man. Should we maybe check?" Quiet. <laughs> um, but what they did is they stuck cameras in therapy rooms and they tried to analyze everything that was happening between the client and the therapist. And they were able to predict relapse. So like how fast someone is going to relapse, start using drugs, you know, how much they're going to use to one thing above everything else. And this thing was something that the therapist did. It wasn't even about what the client came in with. And it was the number of confrontational statements made by the therapist, wow. Okay. What are we supposed to do with that? Right. And when I say confrontational statements, I'm not saying being mean, I'm saying like, Hey, uh, Charles, you know, last time we met, you know, your probation officer, Charles (laughs) said that you needed to get a job. And, and, you know, did, did, did you fill out any applications? And then Charles says, well, no. And I say, well, Charles, here comes the confrontation. Well, you know, that your PO is, is really wanting you to do this. Uh, That's a confrontational statement. And what they found and think about this most resistance to change is due to something called ambivalence. So in in the example of that person who's struggling with drug addiction, there's part of them that wants to stop using drugs. I mean, that's why they're in therapy. There's part of them that really wants to stop. There's another part of them that wants to continue to do drugs. So we have both sides in us, right? So you're meeting with a client, there's part of them that knows they need to get a will, and there's part of them that's resisting getting a will, right? And what they were able to identify is that when you are taking the pro-change side for somebody who's ambivalent, they are automatically going to argue the status quo side. You have now externalized the ambivalence, right? And so the more I double down as a planner, as a therapist, trying to encourage somebody to take action when they're resisting, the more And think about it, you're in that position. We all have this natural tendency to not want to be pushed, right? Or not want to be pressured into doing things. And, And so I'm going to be sitting there being confronted and, I, and I'm going to reinforce all those neural networks around status quo. I'm going to be making excuses, whether I say them out loud or internally about all the reasons why I don't want to do this. And what the studies have found is that those type of confrontational conversation with a client who's ambivalent and resistance to change is actually harmful. You're actually decreasing the chances that the client will take action. And it really comes down to you are loading up on the wrong side of the ambivalence Decreasing the chances that your client is going to take action. Woo! What do you think, Charles?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I mean that makes the stakes even higher, right? I mean, when it comes to what you're going to say, because you could actually make the issue worse. You could actually make the problem worse than than what, than, what it, than than how it started when you started the conversation.
1: That's right, and so I think as financial planners. Our job is to pay close attention when we're giving advice and look for signs of resistance. And what needs to pop up in your head is when you're seeing a client sort of shift in their seat or cross their arms. These are all subtle cues, right? Or um, say, yeah, but, you know, or start to make an excuse or start to yawn. (laughs) I mean, whatever it is, there's nonverbal and verbal signs of resistance. You have to have like a mental image of a stop sign pop up into your head, because if you continue to go down the path and double down and, and remind them of the reasons why they need to do this, et cetera, you are going to decrease the chances that they take action. And so if you take nothing else from this, um, what I'm telling you in this podcast is like, you got to stop doing what you're doing. You have to stop doing what you're doing. And then you have to shift to do something different. Um, and in in the book, Charles, <laughs> we talk about nine um, evidence-based techniques you can use with a client to help overcome their resistance when you're noticing that resistance. And the one that I love to talk about the most, because it's, it's called simple, even though it's not very simple, it's a simple reflection. And so you're going to stop doing what you're doing and you're going to say something like, so, so what you're saying is you're not ready to take this action and you're just going to put it right on the table based on what that client said to you. And it's not a confrontation, You are actually just matching the client's reality, and like there's part of me that knows I need to get a will in that example. And if you said to me, Brad, so if I hear you right, you're not really feeling like it's time for you to move forward on getting a will. That that is going. I'm confronting myself in that sense, and now you've sort of taken the side that I'm on, which is a status quo side. And what happens is that clients have a natural tendency to want to argue the other side. And that's really the key. What we want to do is get our clients to do what we call in motivational interviewing, the change talk. We want them to be the ones telling us the reasons why they need to ta- take action telling us the reasons why this behavior will benefit them. That's, that's sort of the game around the motivational interviewing conversation. You have to be really... Acutely aware of when they're showing signs of resistance. And then you have to shift to one or more of those techniques to help support the client's move towards taking action.
0: And we include, you know, eight other evidence-based techniques uh, in this uh, in, in, in our book and in our in our um and in our certificate that talk about how to overcome resistance to advice or indecision or whatnot. And we couldn't be more excited about it we took a lot of it from other areas of psychology and applied it directly to financial planning so we we think it's pretty groundbreaking we're talking to, to firms already and advisors and they seem to be really interested in it so we hope that it's going to be it's going to be helpful to you and in your work with clients
1: yeah and i love it too because um as you mentioned before you know, We've been using motivational interviewing and adapting it in this space for, for quite a while. Um, and it's been adapted to all sorts of other spaces. So like, um, not only are therapists being trained in this, but medical professionals, and there's tons of evidence and studies coming out around how powerful this is. And the great thing about it for financial planning is that it, it's, it's an application of psychology to financial planning, but it, it's not psychotherapy it's not um diagnosing anybody it's not using you know special therapy techniques or anything that a client might feel is sort of weird or jarring or like what are you what are you doing it's just strictly interviewing skills it's conversational skills but it's it's by it's doing it with an awareness of the psychology of change of resistance to change and how to deal with a client's ambivalence to support them moving in a positive direction. So it can be integrated seamlessly in the financial planning client relationship.
0: Yeah. And and this is part of one of the modules of our, of our certificate. Um, you know, I know it's not on the script, but you know what, Brad, I'm so excited. We got some big announcements coming up with some really cool partners. Um, I, I mean, I really would like to say it, No, we it. can't, we'll, we we'll can't, edit we this. can't, we have to edit it, but we got some cool stuff coming down the road, uh, that we're going to
1: be announcing here throughout the summer. Wouldn't you say? It's, it's pretty darn exciting. I gotta be honest.
0: Yeah. There's, there's, um, there's a lot of impact coming. So hopefully, um, if you haven't, visit com, You can take our class and see all the cool stuff that we're doing, um, and, and get involved there. Uh, and then a big launch for a lot of this stuff is September sixth, twenty twenty two. That's our that's our date where this content's going to go to not only some, some partner firms that we're working with and partner organizations, but also a lot of college and university programs that are going to be licensing our new certificate badge and our videos and stuff. So it's really really cool. So hopefully you'll um, uh, you're you're part of that. You've taken the class and you're you're with us. And um, you can email us. At, at gmail.com p s y, f i n p l a n at gmail.com. It just rolls right off the tongue. Psyfinplan just is is mm-hmm. it's just great, don't you think,
1: Brad? It's incredible. Yeah, wish I would have thought of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's we're we're so we're we're so so professional and. Uh, and whatnot on all that stuff. So you can get the Psychology of Financial Play podcast on on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, we hope that you will leave a positive review or share it with um, your friends. You know, we're in like 20 different countries right now. Um, I don't know if all of those countries speak English though. So I don't know how, I don't know. How do, I don't know, how do you reconcile that,
1: Brad? I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing there was at least a couple accidental downloads. That could That's, be.
0: That's
1: my theory, but. I
0: could see that, that there would be a few people downloading this and um, hopefully they stay through the whole thing though. I mean, they, they just, even though they don't understand it, they're mesmerized or they're watching us on YouTube and they see your tiger's hat and they're just mesmerized by you and they just keep watching, even though they don't understand anything that you're saying. Happens a lot. Yep. Happens a lot. Uh, The audio engineer for the psychology of financial planning podcast is Tim Dolbear. And uh, next week's our next, our next episode last week was behavioral finance. Hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, Next week's episode, we're getting into some of the, the principles of
1: counseling, Brad, which I know is very near and dear to your heart. We make behavioral finance fun. Can we like trademark that? I mean, did we, I thought we did.
0: We did. I think we what we put on the front uh, end we put confirmation bias number yeah. <laughs> 1 colon we make behavioral. Yeah, I, I think that, <laughs> I think I think that's it. Well, folks, thanks for joining us and thanks for part of our our growing audience and uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Take care.